Is it really surprising that the most powerful man in the world should be a figure of controversy? We, as a population on this planet, have been looking for a savior. We're talking about a being alien whose very existence they are not telling us the truth. challenges our own sense of priority in the universe. Human beings have a horrible track record of Tragedy. following people of great power. Power corrupts. And absolute power, power corrupts absolutely. Chaos. Maybe he's just a guy trying to do the right no, thing. We know better now, don't we? Devils don't come from hell beneath us. They brought their war here. No, they come from the sky. The world has been so caught up with what he can do that no one has asked what he should do. Go home, go home, go home, go home. That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Hello everyone and welcome to Unwatchable. I am Brent Evans and I'm here with Ben Norris and Corey Ray Mackey and today we are talking about the Zack Snyder 2016 critical disaster, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Uh, 28% on Rotten Tomatoes, 827 million worldwide against a production budget in the vicinity of 250 to 300 million, apparently. Uh, and Warner Brothers could still probably consider it a financial disappointment given its direct competitor, Captain America Civil War, which was released a month later, made a humble $1.15 billion. Uh, and the fact that the movie itself set a record for the worst Friday to Sunday drop in box office history. Um, and from what I, from my half-assed research, apparently the film had to make about eight hundred million in order to be profitable. So while Marvel walked away with reportedly one hundred and fifty, one hundred and forty million dollar profit for Civil War, Batman v Superman made Warner Brothers roughly twenty-seven million. If box office reporting and conjecture is to be believed um so yeah quite the divisive film amongst probably not amongst critics because 28 percent not much division there but just amongst superhero fans comic book movie fans in general um and maybe probably on this podcast as well Corey, this was this was a movie you were pretty excited to to talk about so do you want to kick things off tell us basically yeah give us your thoughts on the movie I mean, when you Way excited about it, and all yeah, that. yeah. I mean, when you basically said, "Hey, I'm putting together this this podcast about kind of films that have either been received critically, um, I guess, not very well, or f- uh, films that were received very well that I guess didn't have a very good box office response or audience response," I really couldn't think of any other better option than Batman v Superman. <laughs> um, it's a film yeah. that I guess was absolutely you know, critically panned um, and really actually split, um, I guess, fans and audiences, I feel, despite the fact that uh, there's quite a vocal, um, I guess, there's quite a lot of people who really hate this movie, but there's also a very supportive crowd um, out there as well for the film. And my own relationship with the film has been quite interesting, I guess, um, as someone who's been both a a fan of Zack Snyder, uh, but also someone who kind of sees the faults in his work, but also really appreciates what he uh, tries to bring into the blockbuster and comic book genre, where I started off, I guess, feeling pretty conflicted about what I had just seen, having been really excited in the lead up to it. 
uh, watching it and coming out of it, just feeling like I didn't really know how I felt about the movie at all. There were things that I uh, that didn't really sit right with me, things that I thought were really interesting, but ultimately it was a feeling of it's kind of a mess, but it's beautiful at the same time. Um, and over time, yeah. get, you know, I went and saw it a second time in the cinema, and my response was was notably better once I could see the and understand the the intent of the film and what Zack Snyder was trying to do. And then not long after that, with the, I guess, home release with the Ultimate Edition, when that came out and introduced, I think it was about 25 to 30 minutes of um, material back into it. It's like, okay, wow, now we can really see what the intended film was and what it was trying to say and what it was trying to do. And while I don't think that if you hate the film, that it's necessarily going to change your opinion on the film, um, I, I do think that that is closest to what Zack Snyder was intending and is, a, I think, a notably better movie. I'm glad you brought up the Ultimate Edition because I you saw this in on release, obviously. Uh, I didn't watch this until a few days ago um, <laughs> in prep for... In prep for this, and you told you told both of us make sure you watch the ultimate, just because it fills in so many gaps. And <clears throat> while I I had the noble intention of watching both, I watched <laughs> the ultimate edition, and then I was sort of like, oh, I don't think there's any way I could watch if if this is the better version. I don't want to watch yeah <laughs> the theatrical <laughs> version. So doing my own research and the stuff that they cut out, me and Ben, because Ben watched the ultimate as well for the first time. Yep. Correct. We both had a very similar reaction to why the hell did they cut this out? Yeah. Yep. Literally, like, they opening Africa sequence, not not in the movie. Yeah. Well, a large, the large chunk of it that makes sense, not in the movie. Yes. And that is the well, entire point of the movie. They, they seem to remove the scenes that were critical to maybe not so much, yeah, yeah story development for sure, but more, more so character development. That's and yeah. I feel the, a lot the character of, um, development is what was driving the story for a lot of it anyway. So why cut out those scenes that were pivotal to to that? I don't. Un- that's what I don't understand. Yeah, it was yeah, it's it's, sort of. Um, yeah, it's really kind of hard yeah, watching that that particular, I guess, um, sequence without the additional material i mean it feels wrong even calling it additional material because it feels like that's just stuff then that should have been on the cutting room floor but when you actually see what the theatrical cut version of it is it's like this feels like an incomplete scene now like it it, it feels um... like we're, we're actually taking out things that not just i guess help explain some of the more plotty i guess mechanics as far as like what lex luthor was trying to achieve in the movie with his plan which obviously is quite convoluted overall but um i guess you know this is the setup of that plan and if you kind of fuck that up and don't get that right then you can have some really really i guess negative impacts on the rest of the movie which even in theatrical running time is two and a half hours so if you kind of screw it up at the start it's not like a good place to you know go from from there um yeah yeah and also i think it just thematically it actually kind of um affects the movie in a really negative way in terms of what what the film is actually kind of dealing with and what it's exploring when you kind of really gut that scene and just make it a skeleton then thematically i think it loses a lot of its sort of potency i guess because despite everything yes. in the movie and it being quite convoluted, one thing I guess on a, on a repeated viewing that I did notice is that is it's quite thematically consistent, all things considered, which I'm sure that we'll, we'll go into soon. You know, you hear extended edition, you sort of think of Peter Jackson's 
yeah lord of the rings and he and he even says no the theatrical is the intended version this is just extra stuff that i shot so i'm not yep. saying the movie's better whereas this is core story and especially character development for superman yes um, and having not like having that knowledge now it seems like it was a superman movie that was made to be recut into a Batman movie with Superman in it. Because if it's you're cutting out a lot of the stuff that make that really drives Superman and Clark's story. Yeah. Absolutely. And then yeah. When you sort of watch the the ultimate edition and most of it is to do with Superman, it just seems like they cut half an hour of Superman material out to have more Batman. Which For to sure. me is the the major problem in itself, because I think Batman is the the part that hurts the movie the most. Well, that's interesting, but I mean, certainly the theatrical cut feels like, you know, Batman featuring Superman as opposed to Batman v Superman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where it's, it was so interesting, even the small beats in the Ultimate Edition where not much is sort of happening, like Clark calling Martha in the sort of the, the dead of night, just wanting to talk to his mother. It's a small beat there, but I remember watching that for the first time in the Ultimate Edition and thinking, I already now have a much closer connection towards Clark as this right? yeah. as this man who's just sort of struggling to figure out wh- like where, where like his place in this in this world like that's a big part of Clark's journey in in the story is that he's trying to you know um, be this figure be the savior in a world where like half the population rejects him the other half embrace him and He's confused. He doesn't know what the right thing is when, I guess, the right thing is on 24-7, I guess, news, um, I guess, panels and stuff, and people are dissecting what that even is. And uh, it's very much a contemporary take, I guess, on the character, and this this character has no idea how to fit in. So a small scene, such such as him reaching out to his mother, it felt like I was now suddenly connecting to this character that I felt no strong connection to in the two and a half hour version of the movie. Yeah, I felt I felt the movie did a really good job of. I mean, I, I feel like the core the core theme, especially for Superman, is identity. So, like mm-hmm. he said, um, his place in the world and his sort of he's having to come to terms with not being not being received as the hero that he that he's trying to be. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of even at the start of the film, he's talking to Lois when she's in the in the tub, and you know she's like, oh, you, you know, you know what people are saying, and he's just sort of you know that doesn't matter. But then before long, it's you can tell that it's. It's clearly having you know it's bringing the guy it's bringing the guy down yeah yeah <laughs> just like I'm just I'm just doing what I believe to be the right thing like exactly well, I think and, um, yeah, I think it I also think because it, it, that it, scene it, with the the movie really hammers kind of hammers home as well as the fact that his world really is Lois Lane's mm-hmm. like his his role his world focus is Lois Lane so I think uh, he doesn't really care what other people say it's when it starts. Uh, affecting her and her livelihood and her and and her and just her in general. That's when he kind of starts getting gets into the whole notion of okay, yeah, no, hang on, this is it's not just affecting me; it's affecting the people I love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just it's very interesting. It was it was interesting watching it again, um, just earlier actually, where I, I was noticing a few interesting things just as far as how the, the how the public are perceiving both Batman and, and Superman in this film. Um, and I, I found it very interesting. It wasn't necessarily something that I'd picked up on previous takes, but I guess immigrants and people of color actually really embracing Superman. Like it felt like the film actually was siding Superman a lot with 
um, with immigrants where the, you know he's going to the Day of the Dead, I guess, event where the sort of building yeah. is sort of um, you know collapsing and, and the people kind of embracing him. Whereas he then goes to Gotham and he's interviewing people you know from the projects there, and there seems to be this feeling that he sort of is acting as a somewhat oppressive figure against kind of people of color in this environment where the, where the police are actually almost allowing it to happen. Um, so it was very interesting to kind of see the film from that point of view now as well, in terms of how yeah. the public are responding to these, I guess, um, figures. Yeah, there yeah. seemed to be like, uh, not, not just a racial, but almost like a classist divide as well, mm-hmm. which is what Hollywood likes to yeah. really, you know, throw down. But it, it did seem to work in this regard. I mean, certainly if you're looking at a figure like, like Bruce Wayne, um, within a city like Gotham, which, yeah. <laughs> you know, is... You know, yeah, it has, I guess, that. If you look it's at, been a big part of, I guess, sort of Gotham's story. Yeah, if you sort of look at the um, the real life sort of version of each city, Metropolis is New York. Gotham yeah. is, I'm Sh- pretty sure it's based off Chicago. Yeah, I would have said um, Chicago. And obviously, an exaggerated version of Chicago where there's a huge divide between the upper class and the. There's probably no middle class at all. It's either you're super wealthy or you're poor and a criminal. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of exaggerated a bit. No wonder Ben and Affleck yeah, wanted Bruce- to play Batman. You know, <laughs> but Bruce Wayne stands out because he's the billionaire playboy in a in a city where that's a huge problem. Whereas exactly, Superman yeah. plays yeah. just a he's a farm shitty, boy. shitty journalist, a shitty yeah, journalist in, in in the big city. Yeah, not a, yeah. Not a good journalist at all. Um, no, it does can't what, do his job at all. No, he's terrible at his job. I actually kind of <laughs> what I actually really loved. Um, what what I always kind of love about the movie is how silly the the Daily Planet actually is as far as like how it's run. Like there are so many moments throughout the film where you're like, how does Clark still have a job at this point? Um, yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. He's just like, yeah. Clark, you're on sports, mate. I've just checked your Dropbox. There's nothing in there apart from Batman. What the fuck, bro? Um, and it's great. Yeah. And Clark's just like, I don't want to do sports, man. I want to do this Batman thing. And Perry's just like, that's not what I assigned you to do. <laughs> Please do your job. Class, like, <laughs> fucking see ya. And I kind of love it, though, because it's in, like, this... Despite the fact that he's not producing any results, it has kind of, like, that, um, you know, police chief and um, and police detective kind of yeah, dynamic of just, just, like... just gets away with the never Hand in your pen and notebook, Clark. <laughs> like, I'm taking you off the case. Like, that's it kind of has that dynamic in a way where it's, like, it's campy, it's cheesy, but for some reason I kind of, like, love it at the same time. Like how is this? Towards, like how is this man still employed? Basically, yeah. No one mentioned yeah. the fact that he coincidentally died at the exact same date and time as Superman. No, that, that's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Look, I mean, fine. that's fine. That's always been yeah, a part of like Superman. <laughs> that this guy that looks exactly like Superman is, you know, just, just don't. Yeah, just no the, one picks up on it. That's fine. Of, um, but that's actually a good point. The beauty of Superman and Clark Kent, and it's something that <clears throat> that's what I sort of always look for with the actor portraying Superman. So I watched this with my wife and she said, it's not believable that people pick on him because, you know, he's jacked like Superman. Who's going to mess with this guy? Mm-hmm, it's yeah. like six foot, you know, six five two twenty. 220. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's not two of him though. Um, yeah. Little, but social network reference there. Yeah. Thought I'd throw that in. Nice. Um, so Very good. I, I always look back at the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. So not the original one, but you know. The one everyone knows as the original one. Mm-hmm. And the, it was the first time where I sort of could believe the, the transformation between Superman and Clark because it's sort of like, oh, he parts his hair the other way and then wears glasses and no one knows who he is. Mm-hmm. 
but it's the complete transformation like when he's superman he's a super confident guy aura of you know absolute leadership knows exactly what he's doing super decisive and then when he transitions to clark during the day christopher reeve does such a perfect job of making clark so like pathetic and weedy even though despite his size you know it's just like he struggles to talk to people he's just you know absolutely pathetic in social situations and what i've noticed with henry cavill <clears throat> looks like superman but sort of as clark and brandon routh and yeah, obviously, to a lesser extent, TV portrays the Superman. There's no real character transformation between the two. So they sort of are portraying Superman and Clark the same way. And they're just sort of relying on the fact that everyone knows how ridiculous his lack of a disguise is. Yeah. It's something that bothers me a bit because it's like, well, if one actor can do it perfectly, it's sort of disappointing when you see Henry Cavill as this supremely confident super handsome not even a nerd journalist <laughs> just get bullied by you know five foot eight 60 year old Lawrence Fishburne and just sort of be terrified of him I mean I guess I never really got the 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 feeling that he was like terrified of, of Perry just in the sense that if he was he probably would have done his fucking job by then and just written about the, the <laughs> yeah, goddamn true. sports but I know what you mean. No, at least there just, is you know, that, conveying yeah, the, There's no, I guess, putting, like, there's not as clear of a distinction between Clark and Superman. But I, 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 in a weird way, like, that's sort of what I I feel the movie is about. Like, I don't think that he, he really knows how to be Superman by that point. Like, he, he's not actually figured it out yet. Um, people complained a lot yeah, about... Yeah, he spent with, so with long. It. Yeah. Trying to be a human. He, yeah, and, and to actually kind of fit in that I think in a lot of ways he doesn't really know how to be Clark Kent, the journalist. He doesn't know how to be Superman in terms of the the classical idea that, that we know of Superman. So for me, I guess in terms of my relationship with the movie, I went from someone who was sort of conflicted about it to then someone who became quite a vocal supporter of the movie where I was basically just under the impression that everyone thought I was insane for liking this movie <laughs> where it's just like oh god yeah what am i doing i'm risking all credibility as a filmmaker myself but also as someone who recognizes the flaws within the film as well like there are some pretty pretty glaring yeah. issues with the film but it's it's one of those superhero movies that like i've come back to it more times than i than i care to admit um which i think means that there's something there to it despite i guess all the issues there there's there's something that still pulls me back and makes me go I don't know. I feel like it's unpacking a lot of interesting things that you don't really see in superhero blockbuster cinema. Yeah, I, yeah, I said superhero a, oh. cinema. Sorry, Marty. Martin Scorsese is going <laughs> to yeah. listen to that and be like, "Oh, Jesus Christ." Yeah, I think there's, I think there's definitely a lot more to this than the direct counterpart. Uh, Marvel movies are. Oh yeah, I, I, they're, they're the same movie every time. I um, did feel that they were, they were trying <laughs> to. They were, yeah, they were trying to make things a lot more complex or complicated they were trying to do a lot more than what marvel was doing they were, they were putting a lot more risk i found uh mm. into that film but then like, it, was, it was weird because they were, at the, i say that that they were, do, they were doing a little bit something a little bit more riskier with the with such a a, a complex storyline all in the one film but at mm. the same time they seem to have cold they seem to have had cold feet and edited a few things in theatrical release, which meant that it was never going to end up being like you couldn't. No one was going to be able to follow follow that that complex storyline, or want to if you were going to take the scenes out that they ended up taking out in theatrical release. It was almost like they they were shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, with, I mean, with it's, that theatrical release. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm I'm 
I'm in two minds about it. I'm like, on the one hand, I understand how a long running time is a big ask for a general audience, um, especially a movie like this, which but is Endgame. actually, yeah, but Endgame. But that was a film that had, I guess, so many movies prior to that, where it was more of like a, yeah. a big budget TV show. It is by the that finale. Point. And yeah. it's the finale. Yeah. And they've spent the time with these, not just these characters, but these actors um you know over like a long period of time and but also i think endgame it wasn't asking the audience to be as uncomfortable with the portrayal of superheroes that i feel batman v superman does um and to explain that i just mean that i feel that what's interesting to me about this movie is that it's unpacking not just american power which it, it clearly does when we're looking at like a, you know, in that Africa sequence that, that we mentioned earlier, where you have, um, you know, an American organization like the CIA, I believe, basically ordering yeah. a drone strike on one of their own people. Like that's already yeah. like, okay, mm. like where we're already ex- exploring some pretty like uncomfortable stuff here within something that's supposed to be, I guess, a blockbuster movie. But we're also unpacking the power of icons and the power of symbols. Like it's, that's actually really apparent if, if you, if you really kind of want to dig into the movie outside of just the Jesse Eisenberg is weird in this movie. Like if you're actually kind of looking into, uh, um, wanting to kind of dig deeper into this movie, it's unpacking like, what does that Superman say? symbol mean like what does the bat symbol mean to yeah the well that's of these, even yeah, of these cities they bring it they bring it to the forefront yeah. you know this used to mean used to mean something yeah yeah um because it's not an s it's the kryptonian symbol for hope yeah <laughs> but anyone anyone who didn't know yeah so like what you say you know <clears throat> with symbols and all that they even, they even bring it to the forefront where it's like well this used to mean hope and now i don't know what it means exactly yeah <laughs> like yeah the very the very exact symbol that i wear I'm not sure if it has actually means, you know, has the same meaning anymore. For sure. And I, I, f- um, I feel that's something that's sort of been heavily overlooked in this movie. Like it's, it's, it's you know, um, as I said, it is mentioning, uh, uh, unpacking what that Superman symbol is, what the Batman symbol is, and, you know, how it's actually yeah. become, I guess, a more of a destructive force where he's literally using his own symbol to brand criminals. <laughs> inside of prisons yeah, you know, sort of... and, and all of these things like it's it, it's literally like I, I don't know how much more i guess literal you can make it but for some reason that feels like something that's not talked about nearly enough with this movie is that it's it's you know it's, it's about almost iconography in itself and the weight of iconography yeah it's the first time i've seen batman so obviously betrayed as uh, portrayed as someone who's bordering on psychopathy like he enjoys hurting people mm-hmm. Um, the Nolan Batman films are, you know, they sort of touch on it. He just gets a kick out of out of doing it. Mm-hmm. And you just sort of always get this impression that Batman, with his deep-seated trauma, just likes to hurt people. Yeah. And this is the first <laughs> one where where Batman is, portray- like, he's branding people. He mm-hmm. just wants to hurt people. It's a problematic portrayal for me in this film. Like, when I was done, I sort of immediately summed it up to myself as, it's actually a pretty good Superman movie with a really bad Batman movie. It's interesting. Sort of jammed in the middle. <laughs> yeah, so... Cause I just... It's interesting because in some ways I'm like, this is one of my favourite Batman portrayals. And then there are other <laughs> things in this movie where I'm like, this, this still makes one. me feel really <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, and I, I think almost yeah. that, that potentially could have been rectified if they had had a standalone Batman movie with Ben Affleck before this film. Whether it was a story that was acting, I guess, as um, something that happened before, I guess, the... M- 
Metropolis battle at the end of Man of Steel that we obviously see, I guess, recontextualized with from Batman's point of view at the opening of this film. But whether they had had, I guess, like, like a prequel, not prequel film, but just like a, a standalone, I guess, Batman film um, just before this one that, that maybe ended perhaps with Batman or, you know, with with um, Clark slash Superman and Zod and the Kryptonians arriving on Earth at the end of that movie. So we could see maybe the Batman before the fall from grace. Now, I think that the, that the film, for me, I guess on repeat viewings, I could sort of get along with it more, especially just with the how the film opens, um, which I know that a lot of people complained about, I guess, like, oh, we're seeing the Waynes get shot again. But I don't know. I, I kind of love it in this movie. And I think it's incredibly important in terms of setting up that this is a character who is still experience, has, has experienced uh, this in incredible trauma and is struggling into like his late 40s or whatever he is by by the point in this movie to actually kind of move on and really that trauma and death is something that haunts both Clark and Bruce just in very different ways obviously with the you know sort of passing of of, of, of Clark's kind of dad and how that's still affecting him and how he's lost his his main sort of um you know support or one of his main emotional support kind of structures in the movie but both characters are still kind of struggling in their own way with death yeah, I um I subscribe to your point that there should have been, or at least I feel like the majority of the Batman scenes in this would have been better served in their own, in their own film. Don't I'm not a big fan of the superhero team up film anyway, mm-hmm. and I think the large part of the reason why I avoided avoided seeing it was just you know reeked of Warner Brothers scrambling to catch up with what Marvel had been doing for ten years. They seemed like they were caught chasing their own tails, dragging their feet, trying to make another billion-dollar team-up franchise, which is why these films feel a little bit disjointed for me. And, you know, I sort of look at the introduction of Diana Price, Wonder Woman, and it's... I mean, it's it's a totally inconsequential appearance in the movie. Like, if she wasn't in there, the movie wouldn't be any different, and she's only in there to, you know, set up the next one. But you could say the same about most Marvel movies as well. Like, the characters are only in there to be like, oh, look, they're, they're the character from The Thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, I remember watching Thor for the first time and that scene with Hawkeye where it's like, this didn't really need to be here, but we've got a franchise to build. All of my least favourite parts of this film are the ones that are setting up Justice League, I guess. Um, and it's not... I'm. It's... At the same time, I, I, I kind of... At least I remember at one point, maybe I, I don't know how I feel about this now that kind of Marvel have gone through and, 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 and finished Endgame and everything. But I remember at the time thinking, but you don't have to do it the Marvel way. Maybe it's okay to kind of introduce characters in, in a different way where we don't necessarily have to give them a film each time. Like as long as you introduce them in a dynamic way within conflict and stuff that can be still as effective um, or maybe more interesting than just sort of trying to copy the MCU model but you are right though like the way that sort of diana comes into the movie it's like you know she's 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 kind of there at this you know at this um event that lex Luthor is kind of like you know having she's just kind of there just making eye contact with and she's kind of there she's kind of there about four times she's kind of of there about four times and you know gal gadot does great (laughs) with 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 what she's um with, being, with nothing being yeah. given, but it it, it it definitely feels in the in those moments like you know um, maybe this could have been in another film. Um, yeah, yeah, or, it's definitely yeah. it's definitely only it's definitely only in there because 
of the next movie. I mean, look, we do um, have the Dawn of Justice part of the title that we have to get to, so you know, we're gonna we're gonna have those moments <laughs> in there. We didn't call it Dawn of Justice for yeah. no reason. I feel like even if even if that was in a Batman movie, you could still have that sort of like Batman's investigating something. Doesn't have to be the same. No. Yeah. You know, the same thing doesn't have to be investigating Lex, and he could run into Dinah. The entire thing could be the same yep. in another movie. Yeah. I feel like that damages this movie because it does such a great job of telling the story of Superman and Clark, mm-hmm. the um, the dual identity. And I think that's what makes superheroes interesting anyway is, you know, the man in Superman or the man in yeah. Batman, like the man in Spider-Man. It's their, yeah. them struggling to deal with their own identity more so than the villains that they're fighting. Whereas, yeah, the Marvel way is, oh, man, how cool is Thanos? How powerful is he? We need 800 superheroes to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas when, when you deconstruct the movie that. to be yeah. like... Yeah, and when you've when you deconstruct a movie, this super powerful being landed from another planet, spent twenty five years trying to be a human, but has embraced his superherodom, which is now not being embraced anymore. But how do you go back to just being a human because it's impossible? Yeah, and <laughs> and, and, and and those and, you know with great yeah. power comes great responsibility. Exactly. And yeah, and 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 those are the things that are always the most interesting things for me when it comes to this this film. That that's probably why I've spent way too much time thinking and talking about this fucking movie um because it's certainly not the sequence where you know bruce just falls asleep or just like smack bang in the middle of like a scene we get this entire sequence about this future that may or may not happen which on itself i remember i was i was sort of re-watching it my housemate comes in who's also a fan of the film comes in and both of us were like look it looks fucking cool but why is it in this it fucking movie? Out. Like, it took me initially out of the movie. Confused, the whole thing took me out of the movie. Yeah, it initially confused the crap out of me because mm-hmm. at one point, yeah, I'm in uh, Batman's lab and then the next minute I see him in a desert, post-apocalyptic de- desert with a gun. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've missed yeah. something here. What's going on? <laughs> you could tell it was like intended to be like a dream sequence or something like that. Yeah, after but the But I fact, was confused where, with the appearance of evil Superman. I thought it was a giant evil bat and I was like, oh, cool, here we go. Batman's, you know, having crazy dreams. It's man bat. He's back, getting, baby. Yeah. Yeah. He's getting scared. Like, he's terrified of being chased down by a giant bat monster. And then it's like, oh, no, it's just communist Superman, basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, just the... Um, I, I think it was Flash, because it looks like Ezra Miller. It is Flash, yeah. Um, yeah. Coming through the portal. And that, to kind basically, of warn you know, him about... Oh, here's, the next, here's the next part of the plot, Batman. Because <laughs> you haven't figured this out yet. So it just, it just yeah. felt like that to me, like I a mean, really forced way of just yeah. you know, exposition... Like it was, it was something which I guess you, you can see maybe what it was also trying to do at, outside of setting up a future potential villain for the for the franchise, and that it's sort of feeding <laughs> into yeah. sort of Bruce's paranoia. You know, like Flash is saying, like you were yeah. right because that was that's Bruce's big fear with with the film is that like what if he at some point decides to go bad essentially like you know he he at the the beginning of this film um has experienced a a whole new set of trauma from from losing i guess like all the people at his company and things like that and being on the ground during this really like terrifying event which i've got to say like it's actually actually incredibly well done like as far as an alien invasion movie within like 10 minutes i think it does like a really effective job of making you actually scared of um you know what superman and these kryptonians are actually capable of i was just going to add on to that that yeah you're right in that it does give you the the perspective of someone who doesn't know about superman who doesn't know about any of that 
who mm. just sees it for what it is, and that's just absolute destruction of a city by two and en- by at, at least two entities that mm-hmm. are completely out of this world. It does a yeah. really good job yeah, of just it's... showing that and nothing else, and that's exactly yeah. what it needs. Yeah, it's sort of yeah the fear of you know not knowing what Kryptonians are capable of, and you sort of see or it what the they even the are part yeah. of the movie. When the versus part of the movie actually happens, Superman kicks the shit out of Bruce for like a good oh, yeah. five minutes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like if if Bruce wasn't brilliant and mega wealthy, just dead immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just got the absolute shit kicked out of him for like a really long time. Well, yeah, that if he did- and you could even tell Bruce was just like, What the fuck? I can't do anything to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Even when yeah, for sure. good thing I found Kryptonite. Even when he'd kryptonite. shot him full of yeah. even when he'd shot him full of kryptonite. Exactly, last yeah. that long. No. And, and and I think it goes back to that that thing for me. Like it's it's interesting because obviously audiences were or fans were sort of really against this 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 i this idea of, of portraying Superman or Clark as someone who was conflicted, someone who's not this optimistic Boy Scout, which for me just felt like, well, that's not the theme of this particular story. But I think it's really important that if you're going to have a film that asks those questions, you kind of need to understand within that same movie, that fear. You need to understand why someone like Bruce or someone would actually want to go down this path and, you know, to basically become a killer and to kill this man, the Superman. So it asks you to also be uncomfortable with the idea of Superman while also obviously us showing us that this is, I guess someone who's trying to be human or someone who is for all intents and purposes human, but obviously has these very superhuman kind of abilities and powers and stuff. But it also asks us to sort of question that power and to, to look at ourselves and say, are we comfortable with something like that when, you know, power corrupts? Ben Affleck does a good job of bringing, of bringing across this portrayal of Batman or Bruce as war weary veteran. So like he's, I mean, he's always he's someone who's pessimistic. Lost he's always, and, you know, you've got yeah. Like he's Jason's always cynical. Kind of, he's you know, like costume there with the Joker spray paint on there. Like, yeah, we're seeing yeah. you know, uh, I guess a Bruce and a Batman who's experienced a lot of loss is still experiencing his own trauma. Like, it's such a big part of this movie. Well, but- you see, you see Batman. You were talking about Superman and his identity crisis. You see mm-hmm. Batman and Bruce Wayne with the identity crisis. I mean, there's periods in the film where Bruce Wayne is actually getting more, is getting ahead, getting more intel, progressing more with what he, with what is needed than what Batman's being able to do. So he's even thinking to himself at points, you know. Do I put Batman away? Is Batman done and dusted? And is Bruce that's you know gonna go forward? That's what I feel is that's what I've always seen as sort of the recurring theme of Batman movies, especially the Nolan ones as well, is mm. this guy is brilliant on his own. Mm-hmm. But he dresses up as a bat because he likes beating the shit out of people. Yeah. But, <laughs> like, but the, that, that's you, why he does it. I would say you, he, I would he argue that that's people. the case for most with any superhero anyway. It's like uh, if you, yeah. if, you, if, you're, think- if you're going to if you're going into to, as basically a vigilante, which is what they all are, they're going in, in as individuals to beat up bad guys, mm-hmm. to stop bad guys. So they're wanting to they're, like they're going to physically hurt them. They're wanting they're going they're wanting to physically hurt them. Otherwise, they wouldn't physically hurt them. Yeah, look, yeah, but if you look at the innate, very if, healthy about this this entire thing. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at sort of the 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 large difference between Superman and Batman is Superman naturally has all these gifts, for sure, and he yeah. he's conflicted about whether he should ignore them or not. But 
because he has them, he feels the responsibility. I have to do something. I have to help people that can't help themselves. For sure. I have to help sure. where where help isn't going to come. Whereas Bruce is is a billionaire playboy. He's got everything, but he's got a past trauma that's just warped him so much that he wears a suit because he wants to beat the shit out of criminals. Exactly, and it's it's interesting. I guess um, for me, it makes a lot of sense that the um, the guy who directed the Watchmen adaptation would want to explore these things with the, with like a movie that, that had <laughs> Batman and Superman in them. Like, you know, when we're looking yeah, at... Yeah. It's, it's very clear that if, if you've seen or read Watchmen that, okay, he's taken the Dr. Manhattan kind of approach of like this... Um, yeah. This, this yeah. kind of figure who sort of at one point is you know like marketed i guess as this american symbol but yeah, then never, something becomes never really sure about him yeah and it, and it becomes kind of i guess warped and uh where it's like okay he's the clark in this movie i feel is not actually trying to align himself with america at all he's trying to align himself with planet earth the planet Earth mm, yeah. doesn't work that way. Like there are all those like, those moments. Like I, I actually quite enjoy that that montage in the film where it's sort of cutting to all of the sort of the news pundits and and commentators and stuff where they're they're, they're talking about what the presence of someone like Superman kind of does to us like collectively, like how it makes us kind of rethink our place in the universe um i guess like every act is a political act and that you know he's 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 i guess intervening in in these kind of state level um, issues and things like that without any kind of oversight at all but you know he's trying to do the right thing regardless i guess of country regardless of of allegiance he's just trying to i guess be this, this this symbol of hope i guess but that's at every step of the way being deconstructed debated Um, talked about and you know there are a lot of disagreements on whether he should even be doing that and i find that personally just like just really really interesting for this particular character where you know it's it's about i guess morality and you know um, i guess all of these these things um that i i I feel like i haven't really seen in like a superhero movie so two conflicting ideas of morality as well Mm. because Clark, it's not completely selfless but clark is coming from a selfless motivation inside himself Mm -hmm. Um, and he's got to battle with the selfish part, whereas Bruce is the completely other way, is selfishly motivated. But I, going back to what you were saying, all the media pundits, I did love Neil deGrasse Tyson's take on <laughs> the whole thing yep. and how people want to feel special. And then when something happens that makes us not feel special, we just freak the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And then big, super strong man with laser beam eyes comes down from the sky and all of a sudden we ain't <laughs> shit. And... That's what I think resonates with me with Bruce's character is Bruce is like, oh, wow, I, I ain't shit. I think certainly th- this this film is a is kind of largely about him processing in a very incredibly unhealthy way without really processing it directly at all. Yeah. But it's him looking back, I think, on his entire, you know, quote unquote career as Batman, you know, having used this, this trauma to, I guess, go out in the night, dresses the bat, just beating the shit out of criminals <laughs> yeah. for however many years and then realizing that it's probably all pointless because this guy can level an entire city if he really wanted to. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it, it's interesting because like I both understand it, but you are totally right, Brent, in that it... It's, it is it is a very selfish kind of motivation, but I think in, in a way, like, the, the film kind of is embracing that like i think that is part of the point because we have the character of alfred there who's sort of acting as us in a bit of a way when it comes to i guess 
our relationship with Bruce. Like, I think he's our closest, I guess, like conduit as far as how we're feeling about Bruce. Yeah. You know, there's that line where, as Bruce is about to kind of set out and, um, you know, on this attempt to sort of kill Superman, where Alfred says, and so falls the house of Wayne. Um, he can he can see that, that that Bruce is I guess on on this path where you know if he goes through with it like that's going to be the end I think not just of, of, of Batman but of Bruce Wayne and, and everything um, after yeah. that so it's interesting yeah in the sense that I think like Snyder definitely sort of fetishizes Batman to an extent it's clear that he loves fucking Batman especially the Frank Miller um, everyone Batman. fucking loves Batman for sure I, I love Batman but <laughs> yeah. um, it's 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 making no it's like it's really committing to the this is a guy who has trauma this is more of an anti-villain almost by, yeah, sorry, he's an never, anti-hero he's never, by this point yeah, he's never dealt with his trauma he just beats the shit out of people exactly which which <laughs> yeah. feels like, like a very Watchmen-y thing you know as far as what yeah, what, what that similar, story yeah. was sort of really digging into is that you know in the character of Dan Dryberg um, as Night Owl, he like he doesn't he just has this compulsion to kind of dress up in in a costume and do this thing and how how that particular story I guess unpacks that that particular he's the guy who um pretty much can't get an erection exactly beats so, up criminals yeah, yeah exactly and so <laughs> like it's yeah. it's it's clear that when you, when you have someone like Zack Snyder who 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 went out and told that that story and filmed and all that slow motion glory. Um, Dan Dryberg finally achieving an erection after beating up some criminals that <laughs> he would tell a story about yeah. a guy who's experiencing this trauma, who's like dealing with it in possibly the worst way. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I can see why they avoided making another Batman movie given we just, you know, we just went through three of them. But it is hard to sort of separate Nolan's Batman and now... Well, for one movie, Snyder's Batman, thematically, without any sort of precursor to it. Yeah, so, I was going to make that because point. Because Affleck's, Affleck's Bruce is probably supposed to be similar in age to The Dark Knight Rises' Bruce, who has gone through all the similar things where it's, do you want to be Bruce Wayne or do you want to be Batman? Mm-hmm. Because you, you've given so many opportunities to just not be Batman anymore and you consistently can't help yourself. And it's not... Batman doesn't do anything. It's just him, you know, him having an excuse to cause trouble, basically, or not move on from what he needs to move on from. Without that precursor sort of standalone, mm-hmm. let's understand who this Batman is. Yeah, yeah uh, which and is why I think the I, Batman I guess, scenes are the weaker parts and I, of the movie. I suppose, though, that just comes down to our own audience baggage, just the things that we're, oh, that yeah, we're exactly. bringing yeah. into yeah. the film itself, which I, I, I've always kind of said that, it's not necessarily the film's responsibility to, I guess, like address that. But I guess within a film that is, I guess, talking about these symbols, these very iconic characters that you kind of can't necessarily make that argument of like, just don't bring in your baggage about the Nolan films into this. This is a different Batman. I think that it might've just helped the audience to have that, that reset for themselves, just that palate cleanser of sort, just to say like, cool, Nolan and Bale did their own thing and it was really good, except for Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I'm going there. Um, <laughs> but like, I've got, I've got I, I problems think, with all of them, but that's just yeah. the Christopher Nolan thing. But yeah, <laughs> but 
I think it would have just helped the audience from coming into this particular um, iteration of the character just to be in- With introduced. A bit of a refresh. Yeah, just to be introduced to this new, um, I guess, Batman. It could still be older Batman. It could still be Ben Affleck, but yeah. maybe it's 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 the Batfleck that hasn't killed anybody because this guy just fucking kills people in this movie. I would love to have That's seen sort of- the film where, yeah, the. The bat, yeah, Batman goes from I'm not, yeah, I I don't kill people to I instead brand people, mm-hmm. like yeah. that. That's yeah. that's a see jump. That I want to see that progression. Yeah, and then yeah. we hit Batman versus Superman, and then all of a sudden you feel a lot more connected to Ben Affleck's Batman. I'm, I mean, I'm happy even if we had a Batman movie where you know he just is a psycho who brands people, <laughs> but <clears throat> for me he's. There's inconsistency in sort of the motivation. So in this movie, you know, he's ex- he's very externally motivated. Superman's a super powerful guy, but he causes a lot of damage. He can hurt a lot of people mm-hmm. trying to stop one person, but then he immediately goes and does the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he doesn't actually have a problem with it because if he wants to kill someone, Bruce is just going to go fucking kill them. <laughs> And maybe, like, is that thing where I've also personally sort of grappled with in the sense that, like, maybe it's okay for characters to actually be in complete contradiction, I guess, like, because that's because, because people are yeah. contradictions. Yeah, people are, But yeah. it does, I, I know what you mean in the sense that from, like, a character motivation point of view, it's easy for that to get muddied up very quickly. But I, I am normally a fan of when, because I feel like that's human beings in a nutshell. We say one thing, but we kind of do... Yeah. Yeah, the other opposite. thing, yeah. and that's actually kind yeah, of, even as sense. I'm saying yeah. it out loud, it's almost kind of interesting that this is this guy. I'm kind of okay with the contradiction. It's just about understanding that, like maybe it would have been interesting to have a standalone Batman movie where, where we don't actually yeah. see the Waynes getting shot, and then we can still open up this movie in the exact same way. We can still open up this particular film where, hey, we're actually going to be digging into like this particular story. What Bruce goes through in this film is going to be unpacking all of that that trauma in a way that we didn't see in the previous movie. But I guess we're now just talking about things that are never going to happen because Ben Affleck's very much <laughs> yeah. on, the, on the way out. But, you know, it's well, just I unpacking loved, um... about maybe what didn't work about this movie as much or just things that could have been more efficiently told within this particular story. I think that that probably would have helped in some way, for sure. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I loved the lack of origin story because we all know who fucking Batman is. But, yeah, I think I think even just an extra hour... With Batman, yeah. So two separate movies, and it would have set up Affleck's. It would have really differentiated Affleck's Batman from. Yeah, and I think the previous, this previous Batman. I think this film actually, within that opening sequence, I don't know how you guys feel about it as people who just sort of you know have only just recently seen the movie, but it's actually I personally really love that opening. I I, I find that it's a very it's it's efficient storytelling. Um, oddly enough like what I really enjoyed like I, I love that that moment with with young Bruce after the the bat sort of not attack him but sort of surround him where he begins floating yeah. a lot of people were just like what does that mean that Batman could fly and it's like no 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 like it's very simply and elegantly just showing the the elevation of of Bruce Wayne into an icon where the shot looking up I guess at the at, um from the bottom of the well into the sky he it looks like a bat in flight like it's literally about his ascension into an icon yeah. and very very yeah. quickly and very efficiently we, we we see that story being told in, in quite an elegant 
way where we don't have to have that origin story as much like sure we are bringing yeah, an hour an hour of origin story, yeah, yeah like we are i guess kind of bringing in our own baggage you know as, as, we, as we touched on earl, earlier that all audiences are bringing their own baggage into the movie that baggage in this case um being that everyone sort of knows that story by now but it very elegantly i feel um shows that in a way where we don't need to see it yeah. I'm going to be honest, the first time I saw that intro, I I was like, yep, I know the story and that whole scene with the raise, him being raised up by bats, I was like, yep, that's just, that seems a bit pretentious. This is Zack Snyder. I mean, really this say. is a guy, yeah, who, he is very visual and I guess we haven't really talked about Zack Snyder, um, we haven't really talked about Zack much, I guess, in, in, in our conversation, but like... Zack Snyder, he, he, he is a director who kind of fascinates me. On the one hand, he, for I feel for a lot of his career, and I feel that there was an improvement with this particular movie. He's a director who I never felt like directing actors was his, his strong point. This is a guy who studied sort of, you know, fine painting in, um, in, in college. Like he, he's a painter himself, like, um, his artwork's actually really fantastic. Like he thinks very much short music videos, yeah, and in commercials and stuff. He thinks very much in visuals, but I think he's also quite unfairly compared with Michael Bay, um, who I think they, they they both studied at the same college, I believe, um, at roughly the same right. time. Yeah, but I, I think because both of these um, directors, I guess, work within that sort of action um, genre, they highly they, stylized. Yeah, stylized. They get kind of compared. Um, a lot, which I think is not really... It's very inaccurate. It's, it's very oh, inaccurate. <laughs> and, like, Zack Snyder for me has always... He's struck me as someone who... It's not style over substance because the style is the substance. Like, that sounds really yeah. wanky to say out loud. I can't believe I said it. But, like, it's he is as much <laughs> as possible, I guess, trying to get everything within the image itself, not just in the form of, I guess, like easter eggs and things like that but within composition and movement and color and all of these things to the point where he's maybe focused too much on that than on the yep. other really important things which are say yep. the actors and really getting those performances where i, I i'd always sort of felt like if, if he had just taken like a directing actors kind of course and really just focused everything on that and if he combines i guess that that you know um beautiful visual mind that he has with that in-depth i guess um, character work from the other directors who I really love, his his work would would maybe kind of elevate, um, I guess even further and be received and not just as these visual feasts, but as, as as more emotional kind of pieces as well. Which is probably why, for the most part, when I watch Zack Snyder's movies, I kind of, on the first time, I kind of know by this point I'm probably going to be pretty mixed. I'm going to watch a Zack Snyder film and, yeah. I'm, and I'm not going to immediately know how I feel about it or there are going to be things that I really love about it and there are going to be things that I'm kind of really unsure about and I'm going to be kind of figuring it out. And then I'm going to watch it a second time and I'm going to actually, suddenly it's going to unlock itself. or it's, Sorry, it's going to reveal itself to me a little more. I'm going to understand the intention a little bit more. I'm going to pick up on these visual things and I'm going to be able to say, oh, okay, this is the experience that he's trying to to give me as an audience member and rather than sort of bringing just my own baggage to the film and making it fit to what I want from it, I'm going to go along with this crazy sort of beautiful visualists 
I guess, um, you know, idea of this particular story and, and these characters. But that's usually the journey for me when it comes to that. It was the exact same thing with, with Man of Steel. I love that like his, his cast and crew seem to love working with him, that everyone just says that, the, that they just really enjoy working with this dude, despite the fact that he's made films that have been quite critically, you know, like... Um, Slams, yeah, yeah, sort of polarizing and, and divisive and stuff. But this is a guy who clearly loves what he does like so much and um, puts as much effort as, as he can into making everything on like a visual level work, even if that means that he's maybe overlooking some of these other really important things. I walked away from this feeling it was probably his most mature film and his most mature direction as well. I would agree with that. So yeah. I did go in with the bias of thinking, oh, we're going to have, you know, typical... We can't really... Oh. Bayhem is such a clever term. You can't really sort of fit anything. Like it's its own lines, but, thing, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, like, oh, we're going to get some real Zack Snyder. Like, this is his wheelhouse, superheroes. And then it's not much of it is... Not much of the typical stuff is there. The style is still there. Mm-hmm. But he's sort of dropped a lot of the... He's not indulging himself too much. He's serving mm-hmm. the story. It feels like he's... I mean, he's a director who's like learning his craft as he goes, like they all should be. Yeah. Um, and he's still figuring out the best way to tell tell these stories. And I think grounded is a really good term, especially for subject matter that isn't, isn't grounded. Not at all. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, 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 like giant a- like alien comes from another planet, and then it it does feel really everything does feel really human in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does, you know, all the action sequences and stuff are definitely directed as well because not like actions is background, but that sort of I guess I guess it sort of is. Yeah, well, even even all the action in this movie is I wouldn't call them action movies. Yeah, but like the action he's known of, for I guess the slow mo, which is definitely quite a bit of slow-mo in this movie but it's more oh. to sort of frame clark i guess from the perspective of yeah, but the, the, the people it's on the not, ground and things but it's not used in that classic like okay a character's like oh, it's spinning not jarring and, and it's annoying, like yeah, slow-mo like it's it's usually pretty sort of grounded like that batman warehouse i guess fight sequence is um incredibly well choreographed and everything and is like a bit of a departure from i guess the action sequences that we've seen from him in the past but it's still also i think I guess like a classic Zack Snyder or sort of Damon Caro, I think is his second unit director slash stunt coordinator. Like those guys have worked together for quite a few films now. Um, it's it, it feels like it's them while still, I think, as, as you said, Brent, I guess kind of being maybe more of a mature or uh, maybe like restrained is like a better word compared to what we've seen from, yeah, I guess, those yeah. sort of sucker punch style, um, I guess, or like 300 style. Yeah, I feel like, sequences. like you said, the style, the style and the elements that he brings with the style, they suit the story a lot more than, say, something in, in Watchmen where it's sort of, he's sort of towing the line between, I just want to recreate mm-hmm. amazing frames from this comic yeah. book as well as try and tell a story. Yeah, where it's like, okay, Rorschach's meant to be this unhinged kind of guy, but we're also going to have these really cool sequences where he's like in slow motion and doing all this like amazing stuff, which I yeah. I think was both meant to be a commentary, I think, on just superhero films themselves and then the way that the comic was sort of deconstructing, I guess, comic book characters. The film was, I think, yeah, I guess, deconstructing superhero movie characters and, and fight sequences and stuff. But I think a lot of it also was just Zack Snyder indulging in the stuff that he really likes, which is, yeah. you know, yeah. really, I guess, like, you know, moody lighting and slow-mo fight sequences. So for you, Corey, where does this, in the Zack Snyder pantheon, where do you, 
Where does this sort of sit for you? <laughs> um, it's it, it's a movie that I've probably come. I know you don't like ranking films. No, I, like... I I don't. Um, <laughs> as as far as maybe Zack Snyder movies that I've spent the most time talking about, it's probably unfortunately this one. <laughs> um, I think just because both just with the conversation around like this film and, and the, the internet's response around this film is probably the one that I've spent more kind of time talking about. I have a special, um, Watchmen has a special place in my heart just because that movie came out when I was in film school and that's a very flawed film, but with a lot of really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I, as far as ranking, I, I, I find it too difficult, Brent. I'm going to have to kind of, you know, bow out from that <laughs> particular question, I think. It's too hard. Well, I mean, he hasn't made, he hasn't made a lot of movies, so the Pantheon's not it's not huge mm-hmm. to choose from. It's hard to say a director is flawed, but yeah, the movies that he's made they're all they're all flawed. But it's the perfect movies that you don't really come back to. Yes. So, yeah. like you you watch something like two thousand and one or something like that, and you watch it a few times, and then it's sort of yeah, I'm, I'm happy not watching that for ten years. Mm-hmm. Whereas I will watch. I mean, I was drawn to watch this again. And another film that we are going to talk about, Bad Boys 2, is, you know, it's a Michael Bay movie, but I would watch that movie every day. It's, it's something... <laughs> so it is the yeah. it is the sort of flawed movies that just keeps you coming back, whereas the perfect ones, you're just sort of happy. You're like, yeah, cool. Exactly, because oh. I feel it's almost... Don't need to watch with, that again. With, with those flawed movies, the reason why you come back is because you're really trying to understand almost like what, what does work and then what yeah, doesn't happening. work as well. Just being like, yeah. oh, I, I like yeah. this thing, but if this thing was like kind of different or if they had a movie before this one, like that could have really like changed how we come into it. Whereas, yeah, with, with 2001 or, like I remember with the Revenant oh, and stuff. Is, yeah. Like I saw the Revenant in the cinema, and I had this amazing experience. And part of me just didn't want to yeah. just chuck it on um, on just some some random afternoon or evening. Like I wanted it to be another experience again. So it had been like five years since I'd seen that movie. I had a sitting, you know, the 4K Blu-ray was sitting on my shelf, but I refused to kind of put it on until that like the timing was right. <laughs> like you know, it's yeah, it's I'm, almost. I'm, you I'm feel, the same. I yeah, love. I loved The Revenant and I sort of, you know, I'm just like, oh, I should watch that again. And I'm just sort of like, <laughs> no, I'm good. It's like, I'm good. Like, yeah. I'm happy with I'm happy with the experience that I had with that movie. Like, it's fine. Yeah. I it's like, say, <laughs> do you feel like you have to be in a specific mentality to watch perfect films? I don't know if it's necessarily uh, about not being necessarily. Yeah, in like a perfect, I guess, like headspace or in a specific mentality. But I think it's, I, I think it's almost trying to preserve what that initial experience was. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, I don't know yeah, whether yeah. it's from this place of like, oh, I loved that movie so much. I don't want to watch it and notice the flaws in it. Like, uh, because you would notice we pick up on things that you didn't on the first time. I think it's almost that thing of you you're maybe maybe i'm not saying it is but but maybe it's us trying to hold on to what that really special <laughs> experience was whereas yeah. with a film like bvs it was a film that i walked out feeling incredibly conflicted about and that's why when a friend of mine with like two weeks later was like i want to go see it again you want to come my like, fuck yeah let's go watch this movie that i felt really unsure about a second time on the big screen like it's weird where well, i reckon like- yeah the best example of those is probably the Star Wars movies because mm-hmm. they're all objectively not very good if you think about it. But well, from you watch like a storytelling point of and, view, they're actually very well constructed. Obviously, not just yeah, the Lucas, it's just the um, ones, you know, all the different elements. That, but, you know, yeah. when you isolate everything, you're just sort of like, man, these movies are ridiculously flawed. <laughs> but the original trilogy is obviously 90 percent of people's favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but even the prequels, like. They're objectively not good at all, but I 
they are rewatchable movies for me. Yeah, and look, this like is I'll, a whole different I'll, I'll chuck podcast, on, but I could watch... I'll chuck on Revenge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like... <laughs> I'll chuck on Revenge of the Sith and enjoy that shit even though I'm watching it like... <laughs> well, absolutely. Like, um, this is a whole <laughs> yeah. different kind of podcast, but I would probably rewatch yeah. any of the prequel films, including Phantom of the Menace. Phantom Menace, sorry. Um, over something like The Rise of Skywalker. But yeah, it is that thing where th- th- those flaws can, can can almost just become really endearing qualities in a way. Again, like I, I kind of love that the Daily Planet is probably like the worst run publication on the planet. <laughs> like, like, like how is this how is this newspaper still up and running when, when none of the staff want to do anything that they're assigned? I kind of love that to be honest. Yeah, no, and even even the um even Lawrence Fish. Oh, I can never remember his name. Perry, Perry yeah. is it? You know, Clark's like, no one buys sports or whatever. And he's like, no one buys paper. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so why are you paying this guy to not do any work? <laughs> like, <laughs> if this you're is a, not making money, like... <laughs> this is a badly You're terrible business. at your job, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But see, there's actually so much yeah. in this movie. Like, you know, I just realized that, that we hadn't even talked about, like, Jesse Eisenberg's just completely whacked up kind of portrayal of Lex Luthor and that whole performance yeah, not, a, which, not a fan which is just something not an, where not an there, are, fan. Th- there are things where i'm like oh that's okay and then there are times where i'm like yeah yeah whereas i think that if there was a stronger i don't want i don't want to use the term stronger filmmaker because that feels you know because I, I mm-hmm. i'm a Zack snyder fan but you know i guess having talked about i guess the things that i feel like is maybe not stronger his strong, actors, yeah, actors that i like an i can more of an actor's director probably would have seen what jesse was doing in those scenes and worked with him to find the balance between the over-the-top camp and something that feels authentic i guess yeah because yeah, you well, can I'm, feel I'm... eisenberg's performance more than the character i feel yeah well i'm not a jesse eisenberg fan in the slightest Ooh, hot take. it's funny that you mentioned it's funny you'd mentioned um actors directors because the only movie that i think is excellent in is social network mm-hmm. Directed by probably one of the best mm-hmm. actors, directors. Yeah. I was trying, struggling to find words why I wasn't, I'd say, totally comfortable with his performance. As Lex, I didn't hate it. Definitely didn't like it. Mm-hmm. It's Jesse Eisenberg with funny hair and a touch more. I can't tell if this guy's really cunning or just insane. Mm-hmm. But not jo- not like Heath Ledger's Joker mm-hmm. level where yeah. you, you truly can't tell and you can't see the actor at all. It's just like, I've no idea what's going on with this guy. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, yeah, it sort of blends into Eisenberg too much. I think it's, I mean, it's that you, you can see him, I think, making the choices in the moment almost like as far as, okay, I'm going to do this yeah, particular riffing. quirk. I'm, I'm going to put this quirk in here, but is it actually coming from some motivated uh place i don't know it's kind of just maybe weird and kind of whack for no real reason where we just don't really understand the psychology of this dude or why he is the way that he is in a way and i think that a stronger actors director would have been able to take that and really hone that um to make it as you said i guess that 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 really interesting place of is this guy a genius or is he just fucking insane? Um, and we, there are mo, there are like slivers of that in this particular, in this, in this film where I'm like, oh, there was a moment there where, 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 where you had me, Jesse, and then you kind of pulled me out again, almost within yeah, the same it. moment. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's probably the perfect way of describing exactly how I feel. Like you're pulling you in and then just pushing you out within the same moment. Mm-hmm. 
where Heath Ledger is very, very careful and very, very precise about where he places the ticks of the character. Yeah. Jason, Jesse Eisenberg seems to just put them wherever he sees fit. Yeah, sort of like the Ray Fiennes yeah. attitude to acting. Like, I see scenery, I'm going to chew it. <laughs> yeah. What's so brilliant about Heath's performance is that it just, it feels like it's just behavior. You know, all these yep. ticks and these weird yeah. things and these idiosyncrasies. Yeah, it like, yeah. it's just, that's the person. That It, it becomes, the, the technique becomes invisible. With Eisenberg, mm-hmm. you yeah. can sort of see it. You can see, okay, now this moment, I'm going to kind of do this little weird quirk or this inflection and things like that. And whether that was like a process that they that they should have maybe explored a little bit deeper in rehearsal or maybe they should have done more takes, we'll never know um, like what really that one-on-one director-actor relationship was like with Eisenberg. But I think that's maybe where that performance, where it sort of stumbles, I think is in, I guess, the sort of lack of restraint. Overall, the cast across the board is actually quite a strong cast, you know, like, um, and aren't necessarily giving their best performances that we've seen from these actors. Like, I think Amy Adams is a phenomenal, phenomenal. actress. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is she phenomenal in this movie? Yeah. Not really. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have. She doesn't do much. Because she doesn't do have much, a whole lot to go with. I think like that 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 she's good, but like, you know. Her performance in Arrival is kind of hard. I was going to say this isn't watch. one of her top yeah, and it's sort of she's fantastic, yeah. but and it's yeah, like but, someone like Lawrence Fishburne as well is just sort of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. putting in a movie star performance. Not a he's not acting. He's just hey man, I'm I'm the editor of a newspaper and I'm probably not very good at it because all I do is just yell at well, my journalists just, about how shit yeah, they are. He's basically just an obstacle, just to like yell and be like, "No, yeah. you're not flying like Economy Plus, Coach. Um, you know, you're flying Coach." And it's like, and he does good with it, but it's more like a movie star Where's performance the story a... about sports, Clark? Like that's basically yeah. the extent of his role for the most yeah. part, which is fine. In, in this movie. But which is fine. Um, yeah. and I like seeing them appear in the, in this movie. And the, yeah, there are a number of really good actors in in this film that aren't necessarily giving career best performances. Or yeah, giving their best. <laughs> Uh, but you can any... certainly see that both Henry Cavill and uh, Ben Affleck are trying. I think. Oh yeah. Like yeah, they're not. They're definitely not phoning it in. It's not like the. Um... They're not like you, you. You could see in all the press kind of stuff after the movie that they were clearly disappointed that the movie was being like fucking panned, um, <laughs> yeah. especially Ben Affleck because he yeah. really wanted this movie to be successful. Um, from what we've heard about some of the behind the scenes stuff on the film, um, that he, he and he, I think he also really like a huge of, image shift for him, like being able to he just play done Gone Girl. a Batman character. Yeah, yeah, because he just did, did, did Gone Girl prior to that, and he was he was sort of having, I guess, like a, a bit of a moment again. Obviously, he did Argo not too long before that um, and stuff, but then made. Um, was Live By Night done before BBS? It would have been, right? Because I think he stopped directing and then sort of went back to acting uh, for a bit. Possibly. I think so. I think he did Live By Night and that wasn't as, as successful as Argo, which won the Oscar and stuff. And and then I think he took a, a, a bit of a back seat and stuff to, to kind of maybe learn from David Fincher. Um, yeah, probably. And I guess sort of just go, you know, I guess give himself over to that. Um, but definitely... F- Affleck had sort of won back a bit of favor, I think, with people by that point, where people sort of just sort of wrote him off a little bit, but then he won an Oscar and then he was respected again. And then I think, you know, he took. Yeah, and he was the really good in the Batman town. And Superman. Gone yes, for sure. And I, yeah. I think he took, I guess, the critical panning of, of Batman v Superman pretty Personally. hard. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, 
but it's interesting watching say this movie and his performance in in this comparatively to something like justice league where by that point he was just tapped out where like the majority of that movie was reshot and it's just clear that he did not want to be there at all yeah (laughs) final thoughts on the movie you go first ben I've told you way too many podcasts. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, I'm glad one of us is. Um, I, I wish they had not released the theatrical version the way they did. I really wish they had released the ultimate version. I really do. Because I said it earlier in the podcast, I do feel they shot themselves in the foot by doing that. So just go, by going on the ultimate version, it's not that bad of a film. Yeah, it definitely has its faults, for sure. But absolutely, ev- but yeah. most films do. Not no film yeah. is perfect, except Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah. Except Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> except or Bad Boys Two. Except or Bad Boys Two. Screw you all. Except anything Kubrick. But it's yeah, it's it's not one of the worst films in the world. It's definitely it's definitely watchable for sure. <laughs> definitely yeah, I, not um, unwatchable. Yeah. yeah, I sort of finished finished watching, and I was just thinking, well, yeah, that that's a movie, all yeah. right. Um, not sure. It's definitely a film. Yeah, I definitely watched a movie, and it had Superman and Batman. That 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 is that <laughs> um, is a thing that exists for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't sure how to feel about it. I was watching it, sort of, sometimes going, "Why do people hate this movie so much?" Mm-hmm. Like, even even if you cut out the bits that make the movie make sense, it's still not that bad. The rest of it. <laughs> um, yeah. People and responded then, very, very strongly to, yeah. towards this movie. But then, I think because they just wanted Captain America, Civil War, but mm-hmm. with Batman and Superman in it. Like I said before, my opinion of it is, has grown since I've seen it. So it's sort of the more you sort of think about it, the more you can tell what they were trying to do. There's just random bits in there that sort of didn't make a whole bunch of sense why they were in there or they just weren't executed perfectly. And yeah, just my general bias to team up movies had this at a disadvantage <laughs> i echo a lot of what you're saying there but as someone who has probably just a longer relationship with this film and with kind of maybe yeah. Zack snyder as a whole and and everything where i can clearly point to all the flaws and be like i don't like that i don't like this this is a bit clunky it's over bloated it, you know it probably didn't need to be three hours long if they had sort of done things differently and um kind of just told story more efficiently but oh man, this moment here is like super interesting because yeah. where else are we going to see, I guess, like, you know, a studio invest way too much money into something so dark and something yeah. as yeah. like, you know, um, as sort of willing to go into the things that it does. Like, you kind of can't say that this movie doesn't commit to its choices. And I kind of admire that, that, you know, at least like he he had a vision of what he wanted wanted to do with this film and with these characters and he stuck by those choices and he, you know i i kind of always respect i guess like committed filmmaking that sounds yeah. like like a weird thing but when directors or filmmakers and writers just really commit to the story that they're telling and really almost like go for it yeah. there's something quite like I don't know, interesting about that, even if the results aren't always successful. You have to respect yeah, it. Yeah, that's no always what. how generally I walk away from a film feeling whether or not everyone's heart was in it. We mentioned like Star Wars prequel trilogy and the sequel trilogy. The sequels aside, you know, Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker, they don't feel like anyone's heart is truly in it to try and tell this story. It's more 
let's just make a Star Wars movie and put everything in it that fans will want to pay money to go I was see. Say, yeah, would you watch everything to make the prequel? Money. The prequel trilogies, the prequel trilogy, those movies individually, just look at them and then objectively, like, man, these movies are not good. But <laughs> George Lucas was committed a hundred percent to mm-hmm. to what he was doing. He was just like not doing a very good job at it, <laughs> which is something. Which yeah, is better something than something... About that, yeah. Yeah, it's something... It's makes for a better movie viewing experience than something like Rise of Skywalker where you're just sort of getting shouted at the whole well, time. Well, that's why or, cult films are a thing. That's why The Room is a thing. It's because you can see that how fundamentally flawed it is, but you can see... Yeah, it, but there is a vision there. Oh, man, there they is, were trying. They, they were trying. They yeah. did everything they possibly yeah. could to they make it really work. Yeah. And there, and there is their job rather than there is a there is Tommy Wiseau was definitely well there, there is there is there is a, <laughs> yeah. a sort of of uh, a fascination to that which we can't help but look at and what and what yeah I'd rather see someone who's bad at their job really try than someone like J J Abrams who's pretty good at his job not try yeah <laughs> you like oh, it just feels bland and soulless versus oh this movie is utter trash but it's really fun because. Yeah. Everyone was having a blast making it, like they actually cared about yeah, it. Yeah, if you, and if you, yeah, you can tell that really easily. If you feel nothing making it, I'm gonna feel nothing watching it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like that's gonna come through in some yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, I think that'll wrap us up for this hefty episode about this hefty, hefty movie. Probably pretty divided on the podcast as well in terms of. I mean, we all liked it, but to varying degrees, and probably all like different parts. Yeah compared to other people, um, which mm-hmm. pretty much just sums up this movie and movies in general. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so we, ho- uh, we hope you like listening to this one. We've got two beauties coming up. We've got, well, we're going to do Bad Boys 2, the, the Citizen Kane of its generation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we've uh, The Sunset Limited, which is a movie no one's, no one's heard of. Except- two of us hadn't <laughs> even heard of it prior prior to this <laughs> podcast starting um and there's a few more in the pipeline as well we're just gonna you know work through who wants to cover what uh what movies we actually like uh if there's any movies you guys want us to talk about hit us up on twitter hit us up on facebook i might we might start an email the, maybe the maybe. unwatchable mailbag see how you feel about <laughs> yeah. it you know yeah do we feel like see an email yeah maybe but hopefully, at the very least, we give you guys some ideas of what to watch while the world's on lockdown. Um, you can't you can't leave your house. You can tune into some of these apparently terrible movies that aren't so bad. <laughs> tune um, in, watch terrible films that aren't so bad, and wash your hands. Yeah, make sure you wash your hands afterwards. Make sure you wash your hands. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. It's uh, it's been fun. It has been fun. Thank you for having me. Yes, no, it's been great. Hope to do it again very very soon. Very soon. Sure we will. Thank you. Thank you.